We've been in this book, we were in this book right at the, towards the end of the, uh, the year in 2022, and then uh, picking it back up in chapter um, 2 this morning. If you look at chapter 1, the very beginning, Mark, as he's given this description, he says, the beginning of the very verse first, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I mean, this is Mark's his gospel is not about him. It's not an autobiography about himself and his ministry and his experiences of life and getting to see Jesus. No, he makes it very clear as he opens up this book. This is a gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is a gospel, and what we mean by gospel is it means good news. And this is going to trace out, uh, Mark is, John Mark is, is going to trace out the story of Jesus' life. And in chapter 1, we looked at the kingship of Christ, that here the king has come, and he has a message, and his message is repent and believe in the gospel. And then he goes, and we see some, and we left off, you may not remember, at the very end of chapter 1, uh, we see Jesus cleansing the leper. What an incredible story that is, um, because it's a story of a person who's an outcast, someone who's not experienced the love for a long time of someone, the touch of someone. And here, Jesus doesn't just, he could have just used words when he heals this leper. He could have just said, you're healed, but no, what does he do? He reaches out his hand, he touches him. We see the compassion of Christ uh, in this book. We're going to see the compassion of Christ as we continue. But as we pick up in chapter 2, we're beginning a new section of Mark's gospel, and it's going to be a section that's going to lead us all the way to verse 6 of chapter 3. And in this section, he's dealing with five different controversies that Jesus faced. Uh, Over and over again, we're going to see the opposition to Jesus. We're going to see opposition. We're going to see controversies. Going to, they're going to question him on the Sabbath, and is he breaking the Sabbath? We're going to see about fasting, and does he uh, observe the fast like other disciples and other people do? Does he do these things? And, and when he's given a situation, how will he handle these things? And so we see five controversies. We're going to look at the first um, this morning. And so if you have a Bible, I want to read it together. It's a remarkable story. Uh, I was asking our kids last night, we had our uh, family devotions, we do something else, but I, I caught myself preaching. I, 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 you know, sometimes when you're dad and you're a pastor, you sometimes blend the two and you're like, oh man, I, ca- I catch myself. I'm getting better. I catch myself. I'm like, I see when they're drifting. And they're like, all right, d- dad is talking too much. Um, but I was, sharing, I was sharing with them what we're going to look at this morning and and I, I love this story because my kids, uh, and we gave this, I believe, to uh, most of, I think, all the families um, who uh, had their children dedicated, but a little um, Bible, the Beginner's uh, Storybook Bible, or Bible Storybook. And in that, there's different stories, and I was curious. We haven't looked at that book. I mean, our kids have kind of gotten past that age now. And so uh, I was wondering if they'd remember, and I was like, do you remember the story about the, the paralytic? And started to explain it, and then Levi uh, chimed in with his uh, his memory of it. So this is a, a famous story, but I want us to look at it and marvel at this story as if you're hearing it for the first time. Uh, and maybe for some of you, this might be the first time, and that's great. I think then you'll hopefully maybe get the magnitude of it that many of us maybe will miss out on sometimes with the familiarity of the Bible story. So looking at God's word together, chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, And when he returned to Capernaum, and remember we said this in in chapter 1, Capernaum is the central hub of most of Jesus' public ministry. 
is this area around the Sea of Galilee. And this was a major area where predominantly most that you read, the stories of Jesus, happen around this lake, this sea, and right around Capernaum. And so he returns to Capernaum. After some days, it was reported that he was at home. So quickly, Jesus is becoming famous. Uh, word is getting out that Jesus is this great healer. He has amazing, com- he, he's done some amazing things. I mean, people are, the, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, you would think word travels pretty fast. Uh, this week, word traveled pretty fast. There was this Chinese uh, balloon flying over America. Did you guys catch this in the news recently? Yeah. Uh, I, was, I was telling my kids this morning and showed them a video. I don't know if you saw this. I shared this with some of my family last night. Um, did you see yet? If you're not, you need to go see it. That is, I used to vacation often in Myrtle Beach, and so right off of Myrtle Beach is when the U.S. Uh, Air Force decided to blow up this air balloon. Uh, and when we say an air balloon, I was trying to explain to my kids, it's not just an air balloon. This thing's like the size of, uh, of a football stadium. It's massive, huge, some of these, these, these balloons. And so uh, I, was, I was sharing them this morning about how remarkable this is and how Quickly, news travels and like social media quickly. I show them this video and you look at this video. If you ever see it, these things that go viral, right? All of a sudden, it's got 20 million, 30 million, 40 million views. And it's a bunch of, and this video is a bunch of uh, guys who were cadets who were on the, the beach and happened to see it. And I loved hearing their, their voices cheering on the USA. They start chanting, USA, <laughs> as this missile hits this Chinese air balloon thing. Uh, spy balloon, spy, whatever it was called, spy air balloon or something. So, but tr- news travels remarkably fast, even in this culture. They didn't have cell phones to pass around videos and take videos. Did you see what happened here? But quickly, we get to see things happening all over the world. It's remarkable how fast news travels. When you think about it, if someone is, is healed of leprosy in an area town, a nearby town, word's probably going to get out quickly that something's going on and his name is going to be mentioned. And so his fame is exploding. His fame is exploding. People want to see, they want to gather, they want to know what he's doing. What does he talk about? What does he say? What does he do? Will he heal my disease? I have these, I've been, I've been inflicted with migraines for decades potentially. Would he heal me? People are wondering what's happening, and so, naturally, just a few days back in town, he's back home, and sure enough, the crowds gather, and it says in verse 2, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. This is, listen, we can focus on, and, and, and many ministries, that I was I've been, I got lost there for a bit in uh, watching some YouTube videos a couple weeks ago. My wife's like, why are you still watching these videos? And it was a, a church ministry. I say church and I say ministry very loosely. And they have like this, this healing school of all, like, of, like spiritual healing school. And they, they come up and they get on the stage and they start, I, I see someone out there who has, who's dealing with, uh, what's this called again? The guy in the video, he's like, what's this called again? I'm like, you don't even, God didn't reveal to you what it was before you proclaimed it? It's the clavicle, right? Like your collarbone. Uh, yeah, and it's like, but I got lost in these videos. And, and here's what can happen, and this is what some cultures do, and, and it happens here in America, and it happens all over the globe, is that Jesus' primary goal is to make all things new, and then he just wants to fix all of your problems. He wants to heal you of all your diseases. 
God longs for these things. That's why he's going to make things all new in a future date. One day he is going to make all things new. There's going to be a, that's why I love, we get to know the end of the story. Read Revelation. It might be very confusing at first. Read it again and then again and then seek some commentary help. And then one day I'll preach on it when I get the nerves to and we'll learn about it, right? Like we can understand the end of the story is already written that God has conquered, conquered hell and he's conquered sin and the evilness of this world and that he will make all things new. But here's what we can focus on. We can focus on healing and, 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 the, and the social economic status of the world, and we can put our primary focus on, and ministries do this sometimes, put their primary focus on, on, on seeking help and, and, and helping the homeless, all these things, and, and reaching other uh, people and getting them food and all these things. And these are great, and there is great physical need in our world that needs to be met and can be met by the church. But it is not the primary ministry of the church, and it was not the primary ministry of Jesus. His primary ministry, what he did the most, was preach the gospel. He taught. Over and over we see this. We saw this in chapter 1. In chapter 1, what does he do? He comes and he says that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He comes proclaiming the good news. Uh, right at the end of chapter, uh, of chapter 1, I think it's verse 38, I believe, right at the end of, of chapter 1, and he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. He says, here's why I came. I came to preach the gospel. I came to tell of the good news, and ultimately it's not just a telling of the good news. He himself is the good news. He comes as the good news, and he's proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. God is dwelling with man. This is something we celebrate at Christmas. God comes, the incarnate word of God. And he comes, and his primary ministry is preaching the word to them. Jesus prioritized preaching over healing, always. We see this consistently throughout the gospel. Sometimes, when you're preaching... I know most of you have not experienced that before, but you've experienced plenty of, of distractions, right? When you're trying to talk or something and you get super distracted. Well, when I'm preaching, every once in a while, you know, there might be a crying baby or there's, you know, when I was in youth ministry, there was this one, there was this couple people that consistently, Amanda is nodding her head in agreement. She remembers them very well. Like somehow about, about 10 minutes into the message, every time, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> They're out to the bathroom and back and forth and back and forth. Over and over. It's like a whole family too. It's like, what are y'all doing? Like, Maybe, maybe, maybe there's a family thing there. I don't know. Maybe they got some, you know, small bladders or something. It runs in their family. I'm not sure. Um, but there's all these things that can easily distract you. My own thoughts can be distracting too. I was saying this a few weeks ago. I said something really, really not wise at the very end of a message. Like, why would I distract everyone with that thought? Because it comes, fly, fly, these thoughts just come flying through my head. It's like, many of them, it's just let them go. Let them go. Just let them keep going. Don't say anything, right? But we can get easily distracted. But I cannot imagine, so for me, growing up, I grew up in this, this pre, a fairly large church in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was looking at some pictures actually this morning of it to remind myself of it. And it was, it's this giant, if you're driving on 85 North through Charlotte, there's on the left, if you're going north, on the left towards Raleigh, there's this giant white dome building. Uh, and that had all these different wings. It's this really big building, and it had this huge white steeple. So it's this big round dome, like not, not like half, like it's this one big round dome with this big steeple. And, and I, consist, I grew up there my whole life, basically, all, all the way till, till college, until I, I moved away and stuff like that. But 
I remember Sunday nights especially, I would be sitting there and I'd get very distracted. I'd be watching the steep, like, because they were like they huge beams in this. And these, these beams would creak and they would, they would move and it was like terrifying. And so like I was like a good current pastor, right, not listening to the pastor. <laughs> and, so, and so here I'm, I'm super distracted listening. And then like every once in a while we had high winds, you'd hear it like crack and it would like, it would like scare people every once in a while. Super distracting, but I cannot imagine you know, like Mission Impossible, you're in the middle of a message and all of a sudden someone just kind of drops in. Someone just kind of drops in, like through the ceiling, like all of a sudden the ceiling opens up and someone drops in and you're just going to keep teaching away. But look, Jesus, remarkable, here's what happens. He says, and they came bringing him, it says, uh, and they were gathered and he was preaching the word to them and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. The way that the, the Greek reads there is they unroofed the roof. <laughs> it's like, so they just start taking off. Can you imagine Jesus teaching? And all of a sudden there's some like ruffling above, like the dirt's falling through because it's these mud, uh, mud roofs, that they, roofs that they would make. And they had like these beams that would go this way so it could be walked on and used in that day as well. And so all of a sudden, like he's teaching and all the crowd's there. It's all packed. Maybe it's hot. And here comes some, some stuff falling and it just keeps falling. And all of a sudden, there's an opening and the, the friends are there looking down. And then here they take some ropes, it tells us. They take some ropes and they start to lower him down. It says in verse four, they remove the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, I don't know about you, but I want this kind of friends <laughs> who are willing to do, go through whatever obstacle it is to help their friend. This is pretty remarkable to see with their friends, how they're like, all right, we got to get him there. But I want to, there's so much that we can take from this. I'm going to point a few lessons here in a second. So, um, but bear with me for a second. Like, can you imagine, here you are, you're, you're in this gathering, and then here's this man, and you're like, I've heard stories. I've heard stories where people were, who couldn't walk were restored in their ability to walk again. I've heard stories of people who were blind who now could see. I've heard of people who had diseases who, couldn't, who, who were healed completely of these diseases. And these friends have heard it too. And they're like, well, my friend can't get there, but what if we get him to Jesus? Sure enough, he can heal him. And so let's get him to Jesus. And they, they hear that he's in this house and they go and they try to get into the house. And, and think about this. It tells us who the crowd mostly is made up of. You see, the crowd is mostly made up of religious people. The scribes, the Pharisees, we learn that actually from Luke's parallel passage to this. That it's mostly these religious people that are gathered in this home. And ultimately, we know why they're there. They're trying to catch Jesus in a fault. They're there to, to listen to his teaching and see if they can catch him in a, a fault. And, and show him for who he really is in their minds. A fraud. And this poor paralyzed person and his four friends can't even get to him. Can you imagine? Maybe they tried the front door. And people are like, uh-uh, you can't come through here. No, they, they hold him back. They, he's trying to push through. And no, they wouldn't let him get to Jesus. And so the friends are faced with this obstacle. Well, what else can we do? Let's try the back door. Nope, that's fully crowded there too. And no one will let us in. All right, well, here's a ladder on the ground. Let's grab it. All right, let's take him on the ladder. Let's get our friend up on the roof. And sure enough, we're just going to unroof the roof. And we're going to lower him there. It's a pretty remarkable story. 
And here, Jesus is teaching. Don't know exactly what he's teaching on. Here he's in this moment, he's teaching to the crowd, this gathering, all of a sudden dirt's falling, and then all of a sudden sunlight starts coming through, and, and sure enough, here's what happens. They lower their friend down on their bed, on which the paralytic lay, verse 4, and then verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, I, I, just to pause for a second, I, I, this morning I, I, I want us to just love Jesus. I want you to appreciate Jesus. The songs we've sung this morning, helping us see Jesus. I want you to see this, though. Jesus sees you, too. He sees me. He sees our faith or our lack of faith. He knows our thoughts. We're going to see in a second. He knows the thoughts of the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders who were gathered there as well. But here, he sees their faith pretty hard to miss, of course. Naturally, there's a a giant hole now in the roof and a a man at your feet uh, lying in a bed there. Can you imagine the paralytic? You're like, all right, my my friends. took him a lot of faith to trust his friends to just lower him through a roof. And here he's at Jesus' feet. And when Jesus saw their faith, notice what he said. He said to the paralytic, you're healed. Stand up and walk. No, that's not what it says, does it? He says this, He says, son, your sins are forgiven. You see, I want you to see a couple things from this already, and and, and I would encourage you to write this down. One, to see this paralytic's condition is the man's physical condition is really indicative of our sin condition. You see, here he is. He is incapable of getting to Jesus. But here's here's a challenge. Uh, Man, I'm, I'm... a little all over the place, trying to pull myself back a little bit. Get a little excited about this passage. But here he is, this man who's paralyzed. We don't know if it was from birth. Uh, we don't know much detail. We don't know really any details beyond his condition that he's paralyzed. And here is this paralyzed man, and his physical condition really points to a spiritual condition of the heart. You see, the way Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 2 is he says, we are dead in our trespasses. We are dead in our sins. We are completely and utterly incapable of doing anything good. We're paralyzed. Have you ever experienced that where sin is kind of paralyzing, where you're like, man, I want to stop doing this sin, and I feel trapped by it. I feel captive by it. I feel paralyzed by it. You see, sin has that effect. It started all the way in the garden when the peop- when Adam and Eve thought and the way the temptation went was that God is actually holding you back. Did God really say that you shouldn't eat of this fruit? No, he, wants, he's wa- he doesn't want you to have all knowledge. He doesn't want you to have all wisdom. He doesn't want you to be like him because then you'll just be like him. You won't need him. They're tempted in this way and what do Adam and Eve do? They give in. They question the goodness of God. They question His authority and His being always right. And sure enough, they become enslaved in their sin. Their eyes are open to good and evil. They recognize their shame. They feel shame. They feel guilt. And maybe some of you, you've you've felt shame on past sin or something that someone else maybe has done to you. And you feel that shame and you feel that guilt and that weight and it feels so paralyzing that you cannot overcome 
that there's this condition in your heart that feels like I just can't get through. I feel stuck in this sin. You see, this man's physical condition is a picture. It's indicative of our own sin condition. And here's, here's what I want you to see, though, is this, and this is what Jesus deals with right here in this passage, is our main problem isn't our suffering. It is our sin. You see, our main problem isn't isn't suffering. It is our sin. I think we often think that our greatest need is whatever we're dealing with in that moment, right? Have you ever done that where it's like it becomes like this one obstacle, this one thing becomes so difficult and it's so in the way and you're like, if I can just get through this one thing, if I can get through this one thing, then I'll be good or then I'll be right with God or I will be okay or I can manage and I can move forward in this life. I could do things for God if this just one thing was out of the way. And maybe that's a sickness, maybe that's a pain, a suffering. Uh, maybe it's the, the, the difficulty of this life. Maybe it's a problem that we have. And we can put so much focus on our problems. And here's what we do, we miss our greatest need. You see, you and I, this doesn't minimize our, our, our needs. They may be significant needs. I think we all have significant needs. All things that we need God's help in or we need other people to help us in. We talked about that last week, bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. Like the encouragement of of how we help one another as we encourage one another. And so easily we can put our focus on our main problem. I'm just so curious what in those few moments what was going through the paralyzed man's mind. When here he's lowered, his friends are above him. They're looking down with anticipation. What is Jesus going to do? And Jesus looks at him and says, son, your sins are forgiven. I wonder what would have gone through his mind. Would there have been a little bit of disappointment? Like, but, but I'm here to be healed. <laughs> like, my legs don't work. I, I, I want you to heal me so I can walk again. And, and work and provide for my family again. I wonder if those thoughts would have gone through his mind of like, well, that's, that's good because I think this is what goes through our mind sometimes, right? God may or may not deal with a difficulty in our life and we're thinking, all right, God, are you going to deal with this trial or this circumstance? Or I don't know if I can endure any longer. And we wonder, is, is God actually care about my needs, my tangible needs, my physical needs. And I would argue that he cares about both. It's not that he's just solely focused on your spiritual condition. That is the primary need of all of us. We're going to talk about that in a second. And, but also there is healing that we need. That's what I was referring to when I was saying about revelation is that here's the reality is that God says, I'm going to make all things new. Jesus wants to deal with both. He deals with disease, but he also deals with, and the primary need is always our spiritual need. Can't help but think when I think of stories like this of a person who's paralyzed, is to think of Johnny Erickson Tata. I don't know if some of you know who she is, but she was in an accident at a, a younger, a lot a younger age, um, a swimming accident, and she was paralyzed, like a quadriplegic. I mean, like. like fully paralyzed. 
And we can look on that and say, man, that's tragic. Like she's had to live 30, 40, 50, I don't, I'm not sure how old she is, years with this pain, this struggle. And I love to read some of her books because whenever you're going through suffering, it's always nice to hear someone who's suffered more than you. You know, it, it kind of it puts you in a little bit better perspective about your own suffering and your own difficulty when you get to hear someone else who's really struggled and, and hurt. But here's, the, here's what I want you to hear as well. Is, is God cares about your physical needs. He cares about your physical needs, but He cares most of all about your spiritual need. I love what she has quoted. There's so many quotes on her, but one that, uh, that she mentions, she says, she says this, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? She, she's, she, she was almost hoping that wheelchairs would, that she could take her wheelchair with her into heaven. You'd be like, why? You'd think she'd want to get rid of that thing in a heartbeat and dance and, and the streets of gold and all those things. She said, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It never would have happened had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. You see, sometimes we can be so focused on our problems and miss that God may be using that wheelchair. He may be using that sickness, that trial, that difficulty in your home, and he's using that to, tra- to get you to lean on him in faith. You see, notice in this story, he says, he looks at him and he sees their faith. He sees their faith in God. Here they are trusting that God can heal their disease. But that day, I'm sure none of them expected to hear the words that Jesus said. And I want you to notice this is so beautiful. We see the compassion of Jesus. He says this, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, now notice this, first word, what is it? Son. (laughs) Jesus looks at him and says, son, you are forgiven calls him a beloved. It's this endearing word of sonship. Son, your sins are forgiven. You see, Jesus longs to deal with our deepest, greatest needs. And we can get so distracted by all of our physical needs and miss our spiritual need. You see, this is the problem of the Pharisees. The Pharisees and the religious leaders are standing around. They're watching. And how are they going to respond to Jesus saying this? And so look what they say. He sees their faith and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You see, they've understood exactly what Jesus was saying. Jesus is saying, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, the, the religious leaders are like, wait, 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 wait. How can you forgive his sins? He hasn't done any wrong to you. Why, can you. why do you need to forgive him of his sins? And who gives you the authority to forgive him of your sins? They understood that his statement was a statement of deity. 
You see, when you're wondering, when you're dealing with, say, um, some Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, others, and you're dealing with, or Muslim and and even them, they, they will say, oh, we're not that different. You believe in Jesus and his teachings. But in most of those religions, in many religions of the world, they say, oh, Jesus is good, good. He's a great prophet. He's a great teacher. He's a good model, role model. But the problem ends up lying when it's, he's God. Because if he's God, he has all authority. And that's why he's, as, Paul, as Mark opened the, this gospel with, the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's our Lord and Savior. He is God, and they recognize this, and they're like, no, no, only God can say that, and so if you're saying that, you're blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus says this, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned him within themselves, said to them, so they're questioning, and he reads their minds, and he knows what they're thinking, and he says, and he says in verse 9, which is easier to say the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Which is easier, me to forgive this person or to heal them? And they're caught. They don't know what to say. Like, well, I mean, they're both a little challenging. Maybe, maybe the, the forgiveness piece seems like, well, you can just say that, but not accomplish anything. How gives you the authority to forgive? And so Jesus says, um, uh, he says this here in verse, um, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say in the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. I find that fascinating. One, he does accomplishes both. He meets the greatest need, the spiritual need, and he deals with that first. Then he deals with the, 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 the infirmity, the sickness, the dealing with the, paral- the paralytic here. He deals with the spiritual condition and he deals with the physical condition. But notice how he's using this in this story. The story was confirming what he was doing, that I have the authority to forgive sins, I'm going to have him healed as well. So look what he says. He says, which is easier to say, the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So here's how I want you to know that God has the authority to forgive sins. I'm also going to heal him. You see, Jesus' healing ministry was a confirmation of his message and his teaching ministry. It was confirming his message. If you want to read the Acts as well, Acts, you watch through the book of Acts. When the gospel would get to a new people group, when it would get to the Samaritans, when it would get to um, uh, uh, outside to the Gentiles and to the world, what often was coming? We saw Paul healing people. None of this healing was to be a praise to them or to be like a big show. No, the healing was confirming the message of the gospel. It was showing that their authority in teaching was, came from, actually, from God. And so when they were healing people, and when they were uh, accomplishing these, it was, it was, because again, it's the beginning, it's the birth of the church, and there's, like, there's questions, is, who has authority to do these things? How how can we know these are, are true and right? And these apostles were going around, they were healing people, they were, we, we see them uh, as, as the, this gift of tongues and speaking, and then all of a sudden this person can hear them in their own language and, and respond to the gospel. 
You see these amazing gifts and these signs and wonders happening. These things were happening as a confirmation of the message. Jesus' healing ministry was very similar. His healing ministry was confirming his authority to forgive. But here's something I want you to see, and this is our, our, final, our final point for this morning before we go to the table together. Is being forgiven compels us to lead others to the source of true forgiveness. You see, being forgiven compels us to lead others to the source of true forgiveness. you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Luke. So it's just, we're in, we're in Mark, so that's a gospel. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, so it's the next gospel in chapter 7. Verse 36, it says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Again, I just read scripture this way. Do you think God just rejects people? Here he's a Pharisee. He's going to call out the Pharisees above all else, it seems like, throughout the Gospels. But what does he do? A Pharisee approaches him, asks him to eat with him. What does he do? No, I'm too busy. No, I don't have time for you. No, he goes and he eats with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, probably a prostitute, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee had, who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Don't allow her to touch you. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And listen to this. A certain moneylender had two debtors. He gives a little story. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Of, of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered, listen to this, listen to the condemnation that comes here, but it's, it's all truth and it's, it's spoken in love to understand something here. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I tell you this story to see something that should have radically transformed your life if you've experienced the grace of Jesus in your life. 
You see, the people who have been forgiven much, he says here, love much. This woman who has many sins, they even talk about it, like she has many sins. She's done a lot of bad things in her life, and she maybe is feeling every bit of the weight of all of that sin. And here in this moment, she is in the presence of her Savior, and all she can do is worship Him. All in this moment she can do is take what she has, and it's this, this jar of perfume, and to take that jar, and with her tears of gratitude, and her heart for God, and her love for Him, to pour out her before him and to start wiping his feet. But here's this Pharisee, this religious leader who supposedly loves God with all of his heart and soul and mind and strength, which is the greatest commandment in the law. And they know this, this Shema, Deuteronomy 6. But yet he didn't give him any water, didn't greet him with a kiss, didn't take care of his needs, didn't show any kind of love like this woman loved. Why? This is what we have to be so careful of ourselves. Is we can think that we're not that bad. We can be self-righteous. Like, I mean, I'm not that bad of a person. I mean, good night. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll try to read my Bible every once in a while. I'll, I'll attend church. I'll, I'll try to be a good citizen. I don't, I don't do anything that gets me put in prison or anything. And we can quickly look at ourselves and look at other people and be like, I'm not that bad. You know what will show your view of of how much you have been forgiven by God? It's how you live. Your desires, your passions, the way you love God, the way you sing when we sing about Jesus, the the way you go about your day, the way you go about parenting, the way you go about being a husband or a a wife, the way that you go about being an employee, the way you go about your whole life, it encompasses every bit of it. We're going to see this next week as we see Jesus calls Levi, a tax collector, to follow him. And these men, they leave everything and they say, okay, I'll follow you. It changes everything. And what it should lead us to do is those who have been forgiven, it compels us. It, God's grace compels us. I love that in Romans. The grace of God compelling us, motivating us, moving us to, and here's what it should do. It should give us an eyes to see the world around me to where I see the lost person next to me and, and, and as a neighbor. And the, I see the coworker. I see the, the spouse or the loved one who doesn't love God, or who doesn't care about God yet. It, gives, it leads me to my knees to pray and it leads me to do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus. Most of us aren't willing to do what these friends did. They were saying, obstacles, get away. A roof in my way, nothing. A crowd in my way, nothing. Nothing's going to prevent me from getting my friend to Jesus. And so instead of just a, a, a casual invite, it's like, hey, it's Sunday morning. We'd love for you to join us. Or hey, hey, man, I'm, I'm reading my Bible right now in Mark. I'd love for you to join me. Let's meet on Tuesday and let's just read God's Word. Let's be active. Let's, be, let's not be passive. You see, that we're, if, we've been really, if we really see how great a debt that we owe and how vast our sin is before God, and we recognize this God said, your sins are forgiven, and he says, my sins are forgiven, that should compel us to lead other people to the source of true forgiveness. Man, I hope that you continually see Jesus. 
This is why I am excited to just walk slowly through the book of Mark. I'm just going to over and over again give you Jesus. Here's who Jesus is. Here's who Jesus is. Here's what he does. Look what he does. Look at his heart. Look at, look at how he acts. Listen to his teaching. Pay attention to what he says. Learn about him. See him for who he truly is. Because this is what Mark's gospel goal was in the first place. I want you to just show you Jesus. And he's going to do as fast as he can to get you to the Passion Week of Christ on a cruel, cruel cross. You see, maybe this morning you're paralyzed by your sin. You're, you're, you're stuck in your sin. You, are, you feel so lost and incapable. Here's the great reality and the, tr- the truth of God's word. We see it all over God's word is this, is that God always responds to people who will come to him. He doesn't turn people away. He doesn't say, no, you can't. You're not good enough. He didn't ask this paralytic man to clean his life up. Like, look, you're not dressed for this service this evening. You're not dressed with the appropriate attire. You're not, you're not worthy yet. You need to clean yourself up. No, he just looks at him and he says, your faith, because these people had faith that Jesus really had the authority and the power to heal. And so their faith is what led them to be forgiven of their sins. And so he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And he tells them to pick up his bed and go home. Do you think that's interesting that he says to pick up your bed and go home? Like in my, my mind, I'd be like, I'm leaving this bed behind. <laughs> I've laid on this bed way too long. I don't want to see it anymore. But maybe he's a little bit like Johnny Erickson Tata, who saw, man, if I didn't have this paralyzed state, I would have never been in the presence of Jesus in the first place. I would not known the love of God. I would have never experienced the, the, the acceptance of Jesus the Son of God, if it wasn't for this state that I'm in. You see, you might be going through something, maybe not similar in this way, but maybe you're going through some hardship and you're going like, man, God, will you just remove this thing? What if that burden, what if that difficulty is leading you to your need, your greatest need of forgiveness? I want you to hear this, that God can and will forgive you. I was asking my boys last night, I said, this is that preaching moment with my kids I was telling you about earlier. Um, I was asking them, well, how? how? I, mean, I, l- I like making them think. I, I want them to think and not just the dad tell them everything or, or their mom tell them what the Bible says and then just they take it. I want them to think. And I said, well, how can Jesus forgive? Like, how can he just say your sins are forgiven? What basis can he do that? Okay, he's God, but how does God just say, wipe the slate clean, you're forgiven. You believe in me, sweet, clean it up. What gives the base, what's the basis for that forgiveness? How can that forgiveness even be extended to a sinful person, just like this paralyzed person? How can forgiveness be extended to me, a sinful person? How can sin, how can grace be extended? How can forgiveness be given to someone like Paul who says, I'm a, I'm the worst of sinners. Oh, wretched man that I am, he describes himself at the end of chapter six, the beginning of chapter seven. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can do this? Who can get me and remove? me from this enslavement to sin how this is the question i asked my boys they looked at me like i don't know dad what do you what do you say and i think they know the answer they just didn't see it and it's this the only way you can be forgiven is because jesus 
When he takes this person off that mat, he willingly laid himself down on the cross and said, I will bear the weight of all of your sin. I will take it to the cross. And the Bible tells us without the, remi- without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There's no way to wipe the slate clean of our sin without God's own blood being poured out. It was awesome to see Levi's light bulb go on last night when I was telling about this, this song that we haven't sung yet that I'm excited to sing in the future here. But the Lamb of God, and I've said, you, you hear the words to that song? I said, it says, the Lamb of God in my place. His blood poured out, my sin erased. It was my debt, or my death, he died. I am raised to life. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The Lamb of God, he's like, he's called the Lamb of God. (laughs) Like it was this light bulb moment. You see, Jesus is the only one who's capable of saying you're forgiven because he says with the Father, I've paid the price for this paralyzed person. You can't punish him. He's forgiven. Why is he forgiven? Because his faith is in me and my covering of his sin through my shed blood on the cross. You see, Jesus, all of his ministry was leading him to the cross. Mark is like, get me to the cross. He's going to tell all these stories. He doesn't leave any fluff. He doesn't give you a lot of, a lot of details to his stories. A lot of times his stories are shorter. Why? Because he's like, I want to get you to the cross. I'm going to get you to the weak to see where Jesus paid the price and he died the death that you and I deserved. Here's the reality is you, like this paralyzed person, can be saved. It just takes putting your faith in Jesus. And I I don't mean like praying a prayer back in VBS days or something or, or just saying a little, a little trite thing. I, I mean you've given your life to the Lord. You've recognized your debt. The sin is ever before you, as David said in Psalm 51. My sin is ever before you. And he said this phrase, against you and you only have I sinned. Now, now David, like you didn't just sin against God. You sinned against Another man's wife, you sinned against a man, you sinned against a nation, you used your power for sex? Like, are you kidding me? No, he understood something. God was teaching him something that, yes, he had sinned against all these people, but ultimately, his sin was against a holy God. And that sin could never be forgiven, so that's why he cried out for mercy. When you read the Psalms, oftentimes you see this. God, according to your abundant mercy, your steadfast love, Blot out my iniquities. You see, that's the only way you and I can be forgiven is because of Christ Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross. And so if you are paralyzed by your sin, I encourage you, put your hope and your trust in the name of Jesus, the name that we sung earlier, above all names, who is holy, who is perfect, who is wonderful and splendor is throughout the universe. When you look at the stars, you see the beauty of his creation and his creator. But ultimately, when we look to the cross, we see our sin and we see a love of God that he's in my place, that I'm not on that cross. You see, we all can identify with someone in this story But my greatest fear is that many are like the religious crowd. Jesus is right in front of you, and you fail to recognize him for who he truly is. May that not be true of me. May that not be true of you, that we just miss who God really is. Even though we're the religious crowd hanging out in the 
in the building. We're here, and Jesus is right there, and he's teaching, and we hear his word, and we miss who he is. You see, these four friends knew who Jesus was and said, we're getting him there. We have to get him there. Our friend needs to get there. You see, forgiveness compels us to lead others to the source of life. 